You're listening to New Life Church in Richmond Hill, Georgia. Sometimes I got to be careful because I get lost in worship and like the band just has to keep playing until I open my eyes. You know, so, uh, you know, I open my eyes and their eyes are wide and it's like, hey, it's time to come on up. It's like, oh man, I, I totally got lost in worship. And that's okay. Is that all right? Is that okay? Uh, uh, I, uh, this morning, um, we want to go to into the next part of our series called Unlikely Heroes. And we started this last week, and we talked about uh, a guy named Caleb. And Caleb uh, has a great story where uh, he is just tenacious after what God wants. And um, he is following God's plan. He is holding on to a promise and vision that God has given him. And he has to wait a while to receive that promise, but finally attains it uh, at about 85 years old. Uh, and he's still, he's still strong after God's heart at 85 years old. And so uh, if you missed that last week, go back and check that out. The story of Caleb is an amazing story. Uh, you can find that in the book of Numbers. Today we're going to the book of Judges. Judges chapter 4 and 5 is where we're going to be hanging out. Now, I just, I just started thinking before... Um, before everybody got here this morning, it's like, what were the, are the great dynamic duos in history, right? Can you think of some dynamic duos, some, some, some uh, teams that you can just think, that's just a great team when you think about them, like Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, right? Anybody? Right, don't give me this LeBron stuff. I don't know who that guy is. All right, I, I, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. That those are heroes of my day. You know, just amazing, right? Amazing. You got people like in history. You got like Lewis and Clark, right? Uh, you got um, people like uh, Abbott and Costello, right? You got people like Hall and oh, so there we go. All right, I was wondering if you might Batman and Robin, Captain Kirk and. Mr. Spock, right, that's right. Some of you are like, I don't know that one. Han Solo and? Can anybody do Chewbacca? Uh, no, no, don't, don't do it. Never mind. Well, I'm sorry I asked, okay? <laughs> that's kind of more or less. Um, Michael Scott and Dwight Schrute. Oh, man, come on. Uh, and then this one, you get this one. Peanut butter and... The great dynamic chocolate. Look at who is this guy? All right, that's good. Actually, I like chocolate too. That's not a bad. That's not a bad alternative. Uh, peanut butter and jelly. Yeah. So you know, good stuff. I mean, you know, when you start thinking about dynamic duos, these these pairs uh, that go together, and it's like, man, they just they just fit. Um, and today we're gonna talk. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna see a kind of a relationship like this. Um, and so we're going to go to Judges chapter 4. Judges chapter 4 is where we're going to start. And they got a lot of scripture to read here because I just, when I usually I just I, I take a passage, uh, a certain portion. I'm looking at the entire chapter 4 here of the book of Judges. It's not too long, it's, it's like 21 verses. Um, and you have to know this, so you, you got to know this going in that Judges chapter 4 and Judges chapter 5 tell the same story. So if you go read Judges chapter 5, it is the exact same story, but it's told in a poetic way, all right? And so it's like if, um, if Judges chapter 4 is the motion picture 
Uh, Judges chapter 5 is the musical, <laughs> okay? That's, that's kind of how you can think of it. Uh, Judges chapter 5 is this song that rehearses uh, this story and this narrative in Judges chapter 4 of what God did for his people in Israel. Now, Judges is a book that has this phrase in it, and if you've, you've heard me talk about Judges, you've heard me say this, that Judges will have this phrase, and, and, and it says, and again, the children of Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. It's like the cycle of sin that you'll see, and it goes all the way through the book of Judges, that uh, the cycle of sin, that the children of Israel fall into sin, God allows them to go into the hands of some type of captor, and God will raise up a judge or a warrior. Uh, when we think of judge, we have this different idea. We, have, we think of a person that sits on the bench with this long black cloak and hammers the gavel, right? That's not, you know, this picture. Actually, what a judge was was more like a tribal leader, a tribal warrior, uh, that you find, and so there are judgments that they pass. They they give advice. They they pass judgment. They do do they do that, um, but it's more in a sense that they are more leaders and tribal warriors who God raises up at certain periods of time in Israel's history to deliver Israel out of the hands of oppressors and captors, and so you see this cycle goes all the way through, and judges is a book that follows on the hills of Joshua. And if you remember, we talked about this story of Joshua and Caleb last week. Joshua and Caleb are going into the land, the promised land, to receive uh, this inheritance that God is giving them. Now, they have to actually go in and drive out the, the people who were there, though. They actually have to go in and do the work of driving out these other nations that are there that God is saying, hey, this is going to be your land. I'm giving you this land. you got to go in and drive them out. You've got to go in and actually have some skin in the game and do some work. And so they, they go about doing this, and to some extent they're successful, but in a lot of ways they, they are they fail in their plan because they don't possess the entire land that God intends to give them. Uh, some at some points, they make treaties and allow people to stay, which becomes a problem. Uh, if you know that sometimes when you don't handle a problem and you think, well, I'll just let it go, how many of you know most of the time that problem just doesn't go away? Two of us know that... <laughs> That most of the time, when you don't handle a problem, it, it just doesn't go away. I'm here to tell you today, if you don't deal with your problems, don't deal with your issues, they will wind up, we've said this before, dealing with you. And that's what happened here in this story, that uh, there were some tribes, there were some people that um, Israel did not push out. And so they said, you know what, there, there's certain people, we're just, um, we're going to let them stay where they're at, maybe they'll be okay, and they actually become problems later on, and that's what happens here in this story. And so let's go to Judges chapter 4, and we see, and the people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. Who was Ehud? Ehud was the, um, he was the uh, judge that came before the people that we're going to talk about. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan. Now, Jabin is, um, there's two Jabins in the Bible. There's a Jabin that is years before in the story of Joshua. 
and he is one of these people that is supposed to be driven out, um, and there's this battle, and, and so we don't, we see them not being able to get rid of them totally, and so this second Jabin in this, it's almost kind of like a title in, in a sense, um, less than a name, more than, it's more than a title, and this second Jabin comes on the scene. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth Hagoam. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now, you've got to understand this, that the Canaanites, uh, they had this great military. Uh, and what gave them the upper hand was that they had chariots. And so if you are just some infantry footman who has a spear uh, and the other army, they have horses and they have chariots of iron, not just chariots, but chariots of iron that are just armored to the max, that makes it difficult to drive them out, right? That's like going up against tanks, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a slingshot, and I want you to go stop a tank. Uh, it seems that you're outnumbered, you're outgunned, you're overpowered, and this is the picture here uh, that, uh, this, that this story is painting, that uh, these Canaanites, they have 900 chariots of iron, and they oppress the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time, and she used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel at the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came to her for judgment. Now she would give decrees. They would, they would uh, come and ask her to help uh, judge decisions for them. And so this is what she would do. She was wise. And she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord your God of Israel commanded you, Go gather your men at Mount Tabor. Now, Mount Tabor is near the place where uh, Jesus spent most of his ministry in the upper part of Israel in, a, in the place of Galilee. And so if you go look at a map, you'll see that Mount Tabor, is it, it sits up above this, this valley of, of Jezreel. And there's this river, uh, uh, Kishon, that would run through that, that uh, run pretty wild through that, that area at times. Um, but at times of the year, it was, it was basically kind of packed down pretty hard. And so it's a valley that you could travel in, and it made it very easy for chariots to get around in. It made it very easy for chariots to maneuver. And so uh, you could imagine that if you have 900 chariots, you have an upper hand in this area. And, and so we see that uh, she, is, she says, hey, Sisera, go get 10,000 men and, and gather at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali, 10,000 from Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you at the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops. And I will give him into your hand. And Barak said to her, I will go. Will I will, or if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And let me stop right here. Because a lot of people read this and it's like, man, this dude's he he is uh, he is a coward. 
And that's how a lot of commentators uh, and a lot of pastors I've heard and growing up, that's kind of how I've heard the story just preached and taught is that uh, because he was a coward, he needed someone to have his back. He didn't, he didn't want to go. And I find it very hard to believe that a man who is a general of an army that commands uh, the, these, these kind of troops that is willing to go put himself in harm's way is a coward in this instance. I think there's more going on here than uh, what, we, what we see. Um, I like to give you a little bit of background um, because Deborah's name um, and I told you about Caleb last week, that Caleb meant dog in one sense, but um, actually he, he began to, to come out uh, as a conqueror in another sense. But Deborah's name, Deborah's name means bee. Uh, that, if you go look it up, that's what Deborah's name means. But she is characterized here in Scripture as Deborah, the prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth. And that term Lapidoth basically means torches. And it, could, it can really be translated a couple different ways. It can be said she is the wife of Lapidoth or she is a woman of torches. What does that mean? She's fiery, right? Guys, any y'all know any fiery women? Come on now. If, if there was a song for this girl, it's this girl is on fire, right? That's Deborah in this story, right? This is, this is it. She is Deborah, the woman of torches. She is Deborah. She is fiery. And I think that's, that's really kind of what we need to get at more than just be, uh, you know, be just kind of, she's scurrying around. She's been busy doing things here and there. No, I think when you read the story, this, this woman's tough, you know, this woman has um, some grit about her. And um, so she is, uh, she's characterized in this way. She is Deborah, the woman of torches. And Barak, his, um, when you look at his, his, uh, his name, his name is Lightning. Think about that. Who have you got here? You got Fire and Lightning. That's a pretty good duo right there, guys. I don't know about you, but going up against fire and lightning, I mean, I like how the story is, is, is opening up here. But he says, listen, he says, I am not going to go in this battle unless you go with me. I am not going to go unless you go with me. And I think what he's saying is this. He's like, listen, we weren't meant to do this alone. We were meant to do this together. That God has called you and God has called me and we have a job to do. And so let's go do this together. Because isn't that uh, one of the great things about teamwork? Teamwork, what does it say? It makes the dream work. Uh, teamwork, is, is e it helps the process become easier. It helps the process when you've got somebody fighting with you. I know uh, Brother Tony, one of our elders here, he always says you got battle buddies. You know, you got your, your, your partner, you got your battle buddy there. And, and being able to have someone with you to stand with you, even if, even if they're not physically in the fight with you, just knowing that they have your back, just knowing that they are there and they are cheering you on, sometimes is all a person needs to feel the courage to step into a difficult situation to confront it. And I believe that's what's going on here where he says, listen, he's like, I'll, I'll go, but you got to go with me. Because God has anointed you. God has blessed you. God has called you to be our leader. God has called you to lead Israel at this time and raised up. And you go read it in, um, if you go read it in chapter 5, if you can put chapter 5, there's, I put, I, guess, I think he gave this one, Judges 5, 
uh, verse 7, and it says, And the villagers ceased in Israel. What does that mean? It's basically the peasants. Maybe they were out working in the field, and they stopped. They couldn't work because of all the conflict and the volatility. And so they couldn't go about doing the jobs that they were supposed to do. And the villagers ceased in Israel, and they ceased to be until I arose. Who? I, Deborah arose as a mother in Israel. And this term here, this, this term mother in Israel, um, it, it kind of, there's an allusion to Proverbs uh, 31. If you know Proverbs 31, Proverbs 31 is this, uh, this, this great proverb about this woman who does this amazing thing, a woman of excellence, a woman of valor. And this is the same kind of phrase, I arose as a mother in Israel. And, um, it, and I'm, I'm probably going to butcher it, but there's this term called eshet hail. Eshet hail. And it is, this, uh, it is this term, woman of valor. This term that's not just, sometimes I think we read Proverbs 31 and we say, well, you know, a good woman is a woman who will make stuff for their home and they'll, you know, they'll do all this kind and, 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 and nice stuff at the house and it just seems very domesticated but there's another side to it it doesn't discount that but there's this other side to that there's this other side that I think we see with Deborah, the woman who is on fire, the woman who is the woman of torches who says, listen, I am tired of seeing Israel stomped by the Canaanites. I am tired of seeing my people put into oppression, and somebody has got to stop this. And so when we go back, she says, I, Deborah, a mother of Israel, arose. Go back to that. I, Deborah, arose as a mother of Israel. And go to the next verse, and this is what it says. And when the new gods were chosen, then war was at the gate. New gods. What new gods? The gods of the Canaanites that were being pressed upon the people of Israel. And was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? No, there wasn't. They, we were totally outgunned and outnumbered. My heart goes out to the commander of Israel who offered themselves willingly. The commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. What she is saying in this song, this, this musical, which is in uh, Judges chapter 5, she's singing the song. She says, listen, I got up to do what God called me to do. And all these other commanders got up to do what God called them to do. And we were obedient to God's word. See, I don't think it was, sometimes I think we look at Barak as, as having um, this, this uh, difficulty maybe saying, you know what, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of cowardly, you need to go with me. I just think he didn't have a problem with pride. It, I, I, when I look at it, I think that was, that was the deal. He didn't look at this as saying, you know what, I got to get the glory here. I think he was willing to let someone else come in and say, stand with me. I'm not, I don't care about the attention. I care about the outcome. I don't care about getting the attention. I care about what the outcome is. See, your pride is an invitation always for God to oppose you. Your pride is an invitation for God to oppose you. But your humility is an invitation for God to bless you. See, pride, it, it promises to make you bigger, but it always, always, always leaves you smaller. Your pride wants to puff you up, but it always leaves you smaller. So, see, I think what Brock was doing here is he did not have a problem with pride. He was willing to say, go with me. 
You can get the credit. I don't care. I just want these guys to go down. I want Israel to be liberated. I want Israel to find victory. I am not concerned about glory. I am concerned about victory. I am not looking for the attention. I am looking for the assistance. And sometimes we've got to be willing to say that. Sometimes we've got to be willing to go there and say, I'm not worried about getting the pat on the back. I'm worried about getting the job done. If we had people who were willing to do that, see, if we would be willing to put our pride away, how much more result can God, can we see God bring about in our life? Somebody said it once like this. It says, when you have pride in your life and you're so full of yourself, God can't fill you with anything else. God can't fill you with his blessing if you're so full of yourself. And so that's what pride does for us. It actually makes us smaller instead of bigger. And so humility is an invitation for God to bless you. And I think that's what we see here. Barak says, listen, I'm not going to go unless you go with me. Because this is not just my fight alone. We're all in this thing together. And that's one thing I want you to get here in this story, is that God is always the hero. God is always the hero of the story. God is always the hero, but he invites us to play our part in his story. God is inviting you to play your part in his story. So what happened? So he said, I won't go unless you go with me. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead you to your glory. For the Lord will, will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And you'll see that later on. Um, and she's not even talking about herself. She's not even talking about Deborah. She said, um, sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulon and Naphtali to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah with him. And if you go into chapter 5, what you're going to see is in chapter 5, and I don't, don't, don't go look for the Steve because I don't, I don't think I gave you this. There is a place in here where it talks about there being clouds. And if you go look at um, verse 4, and it says, The Lord... When you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. Now, what happens in this story? What happens in this story is that this place that has been packed down and has, um, is a good place for chariots to run around and just demolish all the other armies. What happens is this, is that it begins to rain. Who opens up the heavens? Well, our Father who keeps the heavens in his hand, who opens it up. And it's with his might, and it's with his power, and it was his insight and his provision. He opens up the heavens and causes it to rain. And what happens to those chariots? They become a, a, a moot point because they get stuck in the mud. And your chariot is no good when it's stuck in the mud. And so it gives Israel a great advantage. And God has just leveled, literally leveled the playing field for Israel. And they have this great victory because now they're able to go in. Their enemy that once had the, the upper hand now does not have the upper hand. Actually, they're on the run. They're on the run for their life because God has, has opened up the heavens and their chariots have gotten stuck in the mud. And if you go read the story, and I, I don't have time to, to go in and read all this, but if you go read at the end, Israel just routes this army. It, it, it basically just, just demolishes this army. And Sisera, 
the general gets off his chariot because it's stuck in the mud, and he makes a run for it. And he goes to this tent of this woman named Yael. And Yael is, um, she is a woman who is of, uh, she's a, a, a Kizanite. Basically, these were coppersmiths and metalsmiths, uh, kind of tribe. They were nomadic. And they were near where the Canaanites and Israelites were. And it's possible that uh, these guys would fix the tools or fix the chariots because they were coppersmith and metalsmith. They would fix the, the weapons. But Sisera finds this tent of Yale and goes into it. And he says, listen, he says, I need you to give me something to drink. Give me something to eat. And she says, come in. And she, she lets him lay down. And he says, if anybody comes to that door and asks, is there a man here, you tell them no. Now, I don't know what has transpired, if there's a previous relationship between these two. But basically, Yale lets him lay down, and she covers him up with this blanket. And what you have to understand is that women at that time, they took care of the tents. And so they had to set the tent up. And so there would have been mallets and, and tent pegs laying around. That wouldn't have been any kind of anything out of the ordinary. And so once she lets Sisera lay down and she covers him with this blanket, she goes and takes that tent peg and drives it through his temple. And the Bible says, and he died. <laughs> I'm thinking... Well, that's quite an understatement. Uh, yeah, right? And I don't know. I don't know the backstory. I would love to know the backstory, why she felt compelled that she needed to do this. Did he diss her at some point in, in, in their previous interactions? Did she just uh, have this inspiration from God? I don't know why she did this, but she took out the general of, of, the, of the opposing army of Israel, and God got the glory. God brought about this great victory, and everybody had a part to play in that story. The thing is this. God calls each and every one of us to play our part. And the last thing I want to give you is this, and I want to have somebody come play. last thing I want to leave you with is this. No one ever wins a battle by themselves. We are always connected to the larger story. But this is, this is the thing. I want to skip down. Honor follows obedience. Honor follows obedience. And so for you today, where are we landing this plane today? God's calling you to do well with what he's equipped you with. Some of you guys have talents, you have abilities, you have influence, you have skills, and God is calling you to use that for his glory. How does that look? I don't know exactly how that looks. I can't answer that for everybody. I can answer that for me. Because I knew several years ago when God was calling me, he was calling me to do a job for him. Several years ago when I was, I was in high school, I was 18 years old, and I'd been, I was raised in church, and I was this kid who was trying to figure out what life was looking like. And I was struggling with who I, who I was becoming and who, what, what God wanted me to do. And I felt this call. I didn't know exactly what it was. I didn't have the, the total picture of what it was. All I knew is that God had placed a call on my life. All I knew is that God had placed a call on my life. And I began to pray and say, all right, God, I don't know what this, this is, but God, I know it starts with me giving you my heart. And I gave my total heart to Jesus. And over the next few years, 
he led me in this journey, in this quest, and it, this picture just began to reveal itself more and more and more. It was because at every turn there was this question, are you going to be obedient to my call? Ryan, are you going to be obedient to my call? And there was always this moment of saying, but I don't know what's around that corner. I, 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 God, I, 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 you know, and I was, there were times I was tempted to make deals with God. God doesn't make deals with us. Right? He calls us to obedience, you know. And, and I'm making deals. All right, God, if, God, if you'll just, God, and this was my story. God, if you'll just, I, I, God, I, was, I was wanting to be a lawyer. God, I'm going, I'm going to go to school and I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be the best Christian lawyer there is. Some of y'all are laughing. I don't know why y'all are laughing. They, there are Christian lawyers. I'll be the best Christian. And, and then, then I kind of switch gears a little bit. And I, God, I'll be the best Christmas, Christian businessman there is. God, I'll, for me, that's not what he was calling me to do. He said, Ryan, I love you, but you're only coming part of the way. Ryan, I love you, but you are not doing what I'm calling you to do. And I remember, I remember that night that I just, I just broke down. And I remember that night, and I called my dad. And I remember him telling me, my dad was a pastor, and I remember him telling me, he said, son, I cannot tell you what to do. He said, but I really think you already know. And I did. That was the thing about it. I did. And I just needed someone who was just there with me to say, you can do this. Just trust the Lord. And see, sometimes that's all we need is somebody just standing with us, cheering us on. You can do this. Just trust God's call on your life. Just be obedient to what he's asking you to do because honor will follow the obedience. So for you, it's a different story. For you, it's your story. But mainly it's his story because he's included us into his story. What does that look like? What is the obedience that God is calling you to? What does that specifically look like for you today where God is saying, hey, I want you to be obedient in this? And you're tempted to say, well, okay, God, I, I'd rather make some deals with you. And God's like, I'm not interested in making deals. I'm interested in you being obedient to my call. What does that look like for you? I want us to bow our heads today. I want you to just sit there with that thought, God, what are you calling me to be obedient with? These guys are going to come and they're going to sing this song and they're going to pray here in just a minute. listening to New Life Church in Richmond Hill, Georgia. For more information regarding New Life, please visit our website at newliferh.com.